I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of Livewire is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you can call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The summer is fast approaching, and many of us are chagrined to be without our favorite TV shows for three whole months. Boo! But fret not. Livewire has obtained the listings of the summer television schedule. It's a season where networks take a lot of chances, and most of it's lazy, well-worn, unimaginative time filler. But these sure sound interesting. Tuesdays at 9 on Fox. It's a show people in the Middle East are dying for. It's the real housewives of Abbottabad. Watch as these compound lounging ladies do it up proper. No, you did not just rip my chakra, you jackal. And just wait until Adara finds what Kuthum has done with the Almethba. The weaves that are presumably hidden by those hajibs will certainly be yanked. Wednesdays at 8 on NBC from acclaimed producer Dick Wolf's nephew... It's cops and lawyers and court and things. Just when you thought you couldn't stomach any more shows featuring justice and crime and attorneys butting heads with judges and private chambers and a detective constantly being two weeks away from retirement, NBC throws another one down your gullet, featuring a bunch of actors whose faces are kind of familiar but whose names you can never remember. Cops and lawyers and court and things, guaranteed to blow you away as long as you're one of those people who is easily blow awayable. The jury has rendered this decision guilty of being awesome. And Fridays at 7, the Learning Channel tries to grasp its last fleeting shreds of credibility after the fiasco of Sarah Palin's reality show. Attempting to right the ship and stay true to their namesake, the Learning Channel apologetically presents words. The show where it's nothing but an Oxford professor of English named Reginald in a chair reading aloud the dictionary. <laughs> Splenetic. Adjective. Irritable. Peevish. Spiteful. Of the spleen. Splenetic. Those sure sound great. Well, okay, if not, there's one show you might like where it's always sweeps week. Features sexy guest stars and never leaves you hanging with an annoying cliffhanger. It's, it's... From the beautiful Alberta Rose Theater, where people go out of their way to tell strangers that they don't watch TV. It's Livewire. And now one of the cast members of I'm Not a Celebrity, but I would still like to get out of here, please. Courtney Havister. 
us tonight. We have two great and very different writers with us tonight. Essayist and memoir writer Margaret Malone is here to share a story of a not-so-great party. Uh, And you've seen his rants in comic form on his popular website, The Oatmeal. He's here tonight with his first book, Five Very Good Reasons to Punch a Dolphin in the Mouth. Matthew Inman is with us tonight. And... Our musical guests tonight blew us away four years ago with their CD, You Can't Win. They're back with their current record, The Unfazed DeLorean, is with us tonight. But first, please meet the members of Faces for Radio Theater, Mr. Tyler Hughes, Sean McGrath, Trisha Ferguson, the beautiful Pat Janowski, our siren of sound, and... As usual, poet Scott Poole, the author of Hiding from Salesmen, will take a single hour, the amount of time it took Allen Ginsberg to imagine William Blake imagining Allen Ginsberg not imagining him, to write a poem that encompasses all that we've learned tonight. So welcome, Scott Poole, and get to writing. Can't do anything, though, without our band, Ralph Huntley and the Mutton Chops. the theme to my cop show. Thanks, Ralph. You're welcome. So as I mentioned earlier, we'll be talking to Matthew Inman. He's also known as the Oatmeal tonight. Uh, on his ridiculously popular humor site, he posts about lots of things that drive him nuts. But my favorite things are his grammar and punctuation lessons, like how to use an apostrophe or words you need to stop misspelling, like definitely and a lot, for instance. And he also covers things in, website, in websites and texts and emails that he kind of hates. And he's biting, and he's very funny, and he's biting. And I had to write him an email to discuss his appearance on the show, which made me a little trepidatious, uh, to say the least. It was, it was quick, and it was just a breezy email. Just, hi, Matthew. I'm the host of Livewire. We're really excited to have you on the show on Saturday night, exclamation point. Oh, crap. Does he hate exclamation points? So I go to the site to see if there's an entry about annoying people who use exclamation points in emails to denote friendliness. So there's none that I can see. But you know what? I'm just going to be safe, and I'm going to use a period there. But okay, now I sound curt. (laughs) Just got an email from the host of Livewire. She sounds really snippy. I don't like her already. I didn't spend a ridiculous amount of time on the email, but it was enough that I had to say, oh, just send it. You're being ridiculous. So I guess I did spend a ridiculous amount of time on the email. Um, But what I was doing there was I was making sure that I wasn't that guy, right? Because none of us ever want to be that guy. The guy who forwards you the email warnings to never sit in your car in a mall parking lot or a honey badger will maul you. You know that guy? Um... The guy who thinks licking someone's whole face during a makeout session is sexy. That is, I don't want to be that guy. The guy who uses a half a tank of gas parallel parking. Nobody wants to be that guy. He's the guy with toilet paper on his shoe, metaphorically speaking. Um, But here's the other thing. No one wants to be that guy, but also no one wants to be the guy who corrects that guy. There's a joke that's popular in grammar nerd circles. One woman asks another on the phone, where are you at? And the second says, you know, you really shouldn't end your sentence with a preposition. And the first woman replies, fine, where are you at, bitch? (laughs) 
right? She's the annoying one now. Like, you have a friend who says nuclear. You know, your friend doesn't want to be that guy who says nuclear for the rest of his life, but also, you don't want to be the guy who corrects your friend's grammar mistake, because that guy's a jerk, too. It happens on so many levels. How many horrible things have existed in this world because none of us wants to be the guy who corrects the guy who's screwing up? Like New Coke, Leg Warmers, The Lifetime Channel, The Last Three Star Wars Movies, The Last Three Baldwin Brothers, The Bush Administration. I, for one, though, would like to thank The Oatmeal for calling out that guy so that we don't have to. And if I'm ever that guy, I hope that someone will tell me, just not on a website that gets four million visitors a month. Uh, And we'll be talking to him later. But now it's time to meet our musical guests for tonight. They started off playing at poetry readings in Portland, and now they play gigs all around the country and all around the world. Uh, After they released three records and toured relentlessly with with them, they took a much-needed rest to put down roots for a little while. And now they're back with what critics and fans are calling their best record yet, The Unfazed, recently featured on WHYY's Fresh Air. Playing songs from that record, please welcome DeLorean to Livewire.
turn from gold to black Welcome to Livewire, Al. This is Al James of DeLorean. Thanks for having us. We're happy to be here. <laughs> yeah, it's great to have you back. You guys did take a couple of years off. Uh, what did you do with that time, personally? Oh, man. Um, let's see. I bought a little tiny RV, and I drove that around and did a lot of camping and fishing. Um, I think everyone in the band here, except for young Jesse here, had at least one or two kids. Um, <laughs> So everyone stayed very busy, but um, yeah, we worked a lot on record, um, but we also just needed to sort of enjoy Portland for a couple years. Yeah. So, the, so You Can't Win was your last record, and um, you had said that you'd been going through kind of a rough time when you wrote that record, and you can tell sort of by the title of that one. This one's entitled The Unfazed, and in listening to it, there's, there's actually more of a lilt to your voice, I thought, when I was listening to it. it you, you sound like you have a really different attitude in this record. Yeah, I think uh, You Can't Win was us sort of trying to make a Chet Baker record or something like that based on the, the tools that we had. We tried to keep it pretty soft and um, melancholy, and uh, drummer Benny Nugent just played brushes the whole time, and um, there was sort of a good, like, after-dark feeling about it. And um, this one, uh, we had a lot more time in the studio, and we had uh, just more chances for... Ben to play sticks and we played electric guitars and I think we were all coming out of a really um, positive mindset of working together and um, just enjoying the process again and so uh, hopefully it shows in the record. Oh, yeah. it absolutely does. It absolutely does. And you're gonna, are you going to tour this record? Uh, yeah, we did. Um, it came out in January and we did a month in Europe and about a month in the States and then we're taking a little summer break and then uh, there'll be more in the fall. Well, that's great. So people can look forward to that. The record is The Unfazed. Uh, it's DeLorean, and they're going to come back and sing another song for us. Thanks so much, Al. Thank you. <laughs> DeLorean. Music tonight brought to you by Dave's Killer Bread and the bread of the week, Rockin' Rye. With whole grains and sweet caraway rye, he can tune your bass, tease your hair, and teach you the guitar solo to Stairway to Heaven. Dave's Killer Breads, just say no to bread on drugs. 
Coming up, writer Margaret Malone, The Oatmeal's Matthew Inman, and poet Scott Poole. We'll be right back. Oh, look at this place. How are we going to find what we need? I don't know, but we got to finish up you-know-what and get over to the Don's place by 7. Maybe we should split up or something, you know? Split our time. Oh, there, fellas. Welcome to Cappy's Hardware. My name's Cappy. Help you find something? Uh, sure, pal. We're in kind of a hurry. Well, I'm sure we could find what you need in a coon sneeze. Well, uh... We got somewhat they might call uh, contracting work, uh, so to speak. Contracting work, you say? Yeah. How big a job is it? Uh, it's about 240 pounds. <laughs> what? what my associate means is that there's some uh, heavy lifting involved and then some, uh, what do you call it, uh, demolitions. Mm. Yeah, yeah, we need something to, like, bust up and uh, dismantle some stuff. Oh, I see. Well, we should probably start you off with a few of these titanium sledgehammers. Ooh, those look nice. Fiberglass huh? handle, good grip. Heads a 10-pounder, which packs a fine dandy of a wallop. All right, grab two of those. Plus, you got any of those little hammers with the funny nubs on top? I reckon you'll be gabbing about a ball-peen hammer. Here's one here. Oh, look at that. Now, this, this is beautiful. He's good for uh, breaking kneecaps? Uh, what's that you say? Smitty le buffoonie. Oh, don't worry about that. He means a sheetrock. Wow, sheetrock, huh? Ah, yeah. Ain't no match for the ball-peen hammer. Now, we're also going to need something that's good at, like, um, uh, what do you, tearing apart stuff, you know? Now, what stuff are we talking? Oh, uh, I'm not going to say anything like a guy's shoulder blade or nah, nothing. but he ain't uh, going to say that. But it's definitely uh, organic materials. Landscape. Well, I myself will go with the ripping chisel, yeah. aisle two. Stanley Tools makes a 17-inch one, all steel. Pennsylvania, of course. All right, we'll get two of those. Now, what about cutting something like uh, really, really strong? Well, how hard are we talking? Uh, skull. Ah, you boys must be doing some plumbing work, I wager. You need some pipes cut, huh? Uh, that's right, yeah, cutting up some pipes. Well, I'll tell you what I got. This here is a reed brand, iron frame, and that wide roller ensures square cuts every time. How much? Got a sale on these here. one sixty-two sixty-nine, and that's $20 cheaper than the big boys will charge you. Okay, we'll take one. Now, sure, you can go with the Reed brand. It's a fine brand, fine, fine brand. But I have here a real dolly of a kicker, the Milwaukee 12-volt battery-operated pipe cutter. Yeah, 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 how much? Two eighteen seventy nine American. But you'll be glad you spent the extra money. Automatic adjustments, water-resistant cut-ahead, 
And with the built-in LED light, you're going to see the line of cut, even if you're poking around in the dark. Yeah, good point. Angelo's basement is kind of dim. Give us one of those. Yeah, look, we got to get going, all right? Just ring us up, okay, pal? Chomping at the bit to get cracking. Okay, well, let me see. It's eleven seventy-nine a piece for the ripping chisels, uh, thirty-six eighty-nine for those sledgehammers. Uh, we're going to go with eleven ninety-eight for that ball-peen hammer, and of course the pipe cutter at two eighteen seventy-nine. Sounds like some messy work, so I'll be throwing in a plastic top. On the house. Oh, Maron, we should have used the top for Jimmy. It's all told, 328 13. Yeah, yeah, here's 350. Keep the change, huh, pal? Well, I've never taken a tip in 41 years. But if you'd like, I could put your change in this here jar for the Kennesaw Clippers. That's our Little League baseball team. Baseball, yeah, whatever. It's mighty generous of you, boys. Our Little Leaguers need some new stirrups. All right, thanks, pal. Grab the stuff. Yeah, I got it, yeah. Hey, thanks there, guy. And the name's Cappy. And you boys come back now, you hear? Special Agent Leary. It's Cappy Jessup, undercover. Just had a run-in with the Grazzini brothers. Left here in a black pickup truck. Following them is going to lead us right to our missing informant. Great job, Jessup. I'll tell the chief. I reckon you will. And be seeing you at the Bureau of Barbecue, huh? I'll be bringing my peach pie with the lattice crust and some of that ambrosia salad. It's absolutely scrumptious, I tell you. You can find our next guest work in the Missouri Review, Swink, the Wordstock 10 Anthology, and the L.A. Times, among other places. She used to be in Tom Spanbauer's Dangerous Writers Group, the same group that gave birth to writer Chuck Palahniuk. She's currently working on a memoir. Please welcome Margaret Malone to Livewire. The invitation is from a friend, though I use this term loosely. We have no friends. We have acquaintances from work or old friends who live in other cities or people who used to be our friends who we either borrowed money from and never repaid or who we just never bother to call anymore because we decided we either don't like them or are too good for their company. We are not perfect. Along with the invite is a small slip of paper with typed directions to the party at their house and one phone number, the cell, to RSVP to and one phone number, the landline, to absolutely not RSVP to. The rest of the mail I dump onto the kitchen counter. Bert is lurking at the corner of the kitchen in running shorts and tube socks, reading the newspaper, drinking root beer from a can. It's a surprise party, I say, for Jerry from Nan. Then I say, we have to go. We never go anywhere. We are going. It is up to me to RSVP to the party, and I don't like talking on the phone. So I wait to call an RSVP as long as I can. I wait until the morning of the party. When I call the number to RSVP to, Nan's cell, Nan is curt, using monosyllabic responses that have nothing to do with what I am saying. Sorry to RSVP so late, I say. Yes, she says, okay. But we're definitely coming tonight. Uh Uh-huh, she says, yes, no, I can hear you. I say, it's Cheryl and Bert. It's been a long time since we've seen them. I say again, Bert and Cheryl. It's Cheryl. Great, she says. Yes, I hear you just fine now. Okay, then, I say, so, bye. Bert and I decide we need to leave early because we are always late, and it's a surprise party, and we don't want to ruin it like we joke that we might. We are getting dressed. Bert is in his beige dress socks and worn plaid boxers, and I am putting on my black stockings and watching my body in the mirror. 
My boobs are just hanging there, swinging around a bit, waiting to have their bra put on. And Bert says, watch, something will happen, and we'll end up getting there at the same time as Jerry, and he'll be like, hey guys, what are you doing here? This is so weird. I'm putting a leg into my skirt, and I say, right, and then he'll be like, it's a surprise party, isn't it? It's a goddamn surprise party, and now I know. Bert puts on his pants. He says, then he'll be like, thanks a lot, you jackholes. Jerry always says that. You jackholes, he'll say. And I'm brushing my teeth, and Bert's in his slippers running moose through his hair, and we both start laughing. These are the best times. I love these times. <laughs> we're in the car. We're on the freeway. For once, there's no tension. I am me driving, and he is him sitting there. We feel good. Which exit, I say. Bert checks the small white slip included in our invitation and says, Canoga Park Boulevard, where the heck is that? I cordially suggest he consult the map and our Thomas guy, but Bert refuses. A giant green freeway sign looms ahead of us. It's coming up here, he says. No, wait, that's Canoga Ave. We drive in silence for minutes. All the best times feelings dissolving. The thick, familiar air starts up between us. Me driving, him sitting there. Watch, says Bert. That was probably the exit. There's probably the wrong directions printed on all the invites. That'd be funny, I say. We drive all the way to Thousand Oaks before Bert looks in the Thomas Guide, finds the street index in the back of the spiral-bound atlas, and see there is no Canoga Park Boulevard exit anywhere in Southern California. <laughs> we turn around. Of course, says Bert, a freaking course. We know we're now going back the right way, but night is creeping up, and I am wearing a skirt, and we're in a car on the freeway in the middle of the godforsaken San Fernando Valley. On the little slip that says, Exit Canoga Park Boulevard, it also says, Call if you get lost. I call. I want Nan to know that she screwed up the directions and say nice things to us, even though she's in the middle of hosting a surprise party. Phone ringing. Nan, I say, I'm wanting to be nice. It's Cheryl. We're lost. There is no Canoga Park Boulevard exit. Canoga Park, she says. You mean Canoga Ave? Sure there is. I'm wanting to be nice, but I'm driving 70 miles per hour and talking on the phone, and this is why we don't leave the house. So what I'm also wanting to say is, what's the point of printing up directions to a place and including them in an invitation if the directions are wrong? You think someone would check a thing like that? We drive back the way we came. We pass the same landmarks, the long, perfect row of leafy eucalyptus trees, the lit-up cross on top of an empty hill, the dull box of a building with the banner saying, if you worked here, you'd be at work by now. <laughs> Something is wrong. I checked every goddamn sign. I say, there was no Canoga Ave. Me too, says Bert. The overhead light comes on, and he consults the Thomas Guide again. There is no Canoga Ave exit in this direction. It's only going the other way. I'm trying to stay calm. I say, F We exit somewhere. We call again. Nan, Cheryl. No Canoga Ave exit this way. I have no idea where we are. I'm using the tone that Bert calls testy. Is Jerry there yet? Do we miss it? And I don't even care. I hope he's calm so we can say we tried, we missed it, and turn around and go home. No, you've still got 20 minutes, she says. No, 10 minutes now. Maybe you should wait. No, just come. Look for balloons. If there are balloons out front, he's still not here. My phone snaps shut. We drive. I tell Bert. I say, Nan says to look for balloons. She says if there are balloons, then Jerry's not there yet. Wait, what, says Bert? Don't you think Jerry coming home and seeing balloons is a dead giveaway? <laughs> Don't you think he'll pick up on that? I contemplate how this might work. I say, no, wait, it makes sense. 
They take the balloons in before he gets back. Who does, says Bert. I don't know, Nan does. Nan takes the balloons in. How does she know, says Bert. I don't know, Nan is psychic. How do I know? Maybe they have a lookout or something. Under the overpass, there's a stop sign. I say, straight? Bert says, left. No, right. I go straight. Two streets up, miraculously, is Canoga Ave. We go left, we go right, then right. There are balloons. We walk into the party. We don't know anybody. We head for the booze. The bar is really the kitchen counter, which is where the bottles and red plastic cups are set up. Next to me and Bert is a pregnant woman pouring herself a club soda. This is when Jerry walks in, and we all yell, surprise. But Jerry doesn't look surprised, Nan notices. She says, did you know? You didn't know. And Jerry says, well, there are balloons out front. (laughs) Also, Bill told me on the way, Jerry points to his brother Bill. Bert sticks his face back into his red plastic cup and sips. He says to me, I should be in my pajamas right now. He heads for the snack table. Standing next to the front door by a long, narrow table with presents on it is Nan, and this reminds me that we didn't bring a present for Jerry. I grab a beer from the fridge and head right for her. I hug her when I get there because that's what people do. Maybe Nan will apologize about the directions. If she doesn't mention it, I'm not going to either. I say, we left Jerry's present at home. That's okay, Nan says. We both look out at the party. Great party, I say. Bert is still at the snack table, alone, his hand in the pretzel bowl. Too bad about those directions, I say. (laughs) Nan doesn't say anything back. She must not have heard me. I can see that she is watching Jerry in a cluster of people on the couch. He's laughing, his eyes crinkled up like closed fists. Finally, Nan turns her attention to me. She says, thanks for coming, Cheryl. And that's when I noticed them in the hallway between the bathroom and the bedroom. Someone must have finally brought them in. Their round heads bumping the ceiling. They are blue and red and yellow and green, long ribbons tied together hanging down. I have the urge to stick them with a pin. I have the urge to set them free, watch them sail away into the dark sky until I cannot see them anymore. Bert follows me into the hallway because I cannot possibly be alone for an entire minute. Gotta pee, he says. Let's go soon. Then he says, why are you holding those? I hear the bathroom door close behind him. It's just me and the balloons. I want to tell them, it's not that I don't like them, people. I do. I've just never figured out how it all works. Is everyone else faking it, like I've always suspected? The balloons don't answer. Or are all those people really having a good time? Out in the living room, people are singing, Happy Birthday, Dear Jerry. I move my lips around the shape of the words. I want to go, and I don't want to go yet. At home, everything will be the same. And then Nan is standing in the doorway. She sees me holding the balloons. Bert walks back into the hallway, wearing his jacket, ready to go. Bert says, We're just going to slip out, tell Jerry happy birthday. And Nan says, No, you tell him yourselves. Then she says, You can't have those balloons, you know. Those are Jerry's. I wish we were already home. Okay, she says, you can have the green one. Jerry hates green. Thank you. (laughs) Margaret Malone. You're listening to Livewire, brought to you in part by Whole Foods Market, who remind you that the world's honeybee population is dwindling, and there are things you can do to help, like planting a bee-friendly garden with native flowering plants, and 
not running around screeching like a little girl when a bee comes within 20 feet of you. <laughs> Courtney. Shut up, Tyler. More information can be found at their website, wholefoodsmarket.com. I can't believe you've never seen it before. Yeah, well, I just never got around to it. Didn't think it was possible to never see a James Bond movie. I mean, Octopussy was on HBO twice a day when I was growing up. Didn't think you could avoid it. Like I said, I just never got around to it. That's just weird. I love these Bond movies. I know you do. What does that mean? Oh, nothing. Uh, look, honey, I'm going to go ahead and go to bed. I think you're on your own for Moonraper. Uh, it's Moonraker. <laughs> Why do I get the idea you want to tell me something? Look, I, I don't like James Bond movies. Really? Yes, I hate them. You hate James Bond movies? What has James Bond ever done to you? Well, he hasn't done anything to me, as he's a fictional character. I, I know that. And now you're going to have that song stuck in your head. Huh? Whenever you watch one of these movies, you walk around for a week humming or whistling the Bond theme. Ah, I had no idea. You have a bad habit of getting a song stuck in your head and then singing only a line of that song under your breath in a falsetto. <laughs> really? Yes. This week's song is Easy Lover. She's got a hold on you, believe it. <laughs> wow, I, I totally do do that. Yes. Is there anything else that annoys you that you don't tell me about? Or? Um, well, actually, um... Oh, you have a list. <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to forget anything should this opportunity arise. Wow. Okay, I'm ready. Uh, do you want me to start at the top or just sort of randomly select some things? I don't care. Okay, um, uh, number 23. I don't like the fart noises you make with your mouth. I don't know what you mean. Yes, you do. You make fart sounds and they aren't funny. Okay, well, it's how I put my stamp on a situation. You know, it's my trademark. I don't like it. Okay, um, number 11. I don't like that when you want to have sex, you refer to it as engaging in animal husbandry. Okay, that, that is the agricultural practice of breeding livestock. That's cute. I'm not livestock. Number 76. You make terrible burritos. Oh, you're kidding me. You use Velveeta. Velveeta has no place in Mexican cuisine, or, God, any other cuisine for that matter. It melts so nice, though. That's because it doesn't have any properties that exist organically in nature. It's like Joan Rivers' face. <laughs> See? That's one of the fart noises. Well, I was using it to punctuate your joke. Oh. How many entries do you have on your list? 117. Okay. Uh. So number four, you always mispronounce people's names. Always. I, I don't know how you get some of these wrong, but well, here's a little partial list right here. Um, David Mamey, Harvey Cattell, Louis C.K., Danielle Day-Lewis, Leonardo DiCiprio, Tome Hanks. Well, all right. Some of those names are confusing, though, you have to admit. Tome do you know any tomes, Roger? Well... Okay, I want to go to bed, so I'm just going to rattle off a few more of these while I have the chance. Okay, number 22, your laser disc collection. <gasps> number 37, you're a bad tipper. Number 9, your mom. What? Number 3, two words, booger wall. All right, you know what? You know, I'm going to start my own list. Oh, really? 
really? What's going to be on it? You. You're short and, and your birthday's too close to Christmas. So things I have no way of controlling. You are a genius. <laughs> <laughs> you see? You okay. laugh. Yes. All right? If I promise to monitor its usage... Could you cross that one off your list? Okay, I suppose I could. Thanks, hon. You know, I could be talked into going to bed, too. You feel like a little animal husband. Uh, um, uh, uh, Sweaty love private time? How about sweaty love private time? Okay, yeah, but let me get my pen first. Our next guest worked as a website designer and search engine optimization specialist for four years before he finally snapped, I guess. After going out on his own, he started a free online dating service called Mingle2 and a website called The Oatmeal, on which he featured drawings, lists, illustrated articles, and rants, lots of which were about the people he'd worked with back in his web design and optimization days. Uh, Just a few of the titles include How to Use an Apostrophe, How a Web Design Goes Straight to Hell, Five reasons to have rabies instead of babies. Eight ways to prepare your pets for war. And eight ways to tell if your loved one is trying to eat you. Now that website gets over four million unique visitors a month, but none as unique as its creator. He now puts many of those pieces into a book called Five Very Good Reasons to Punch a Dolphin in the Mouth and Other Useful Guides. Please welcome the oatmeal's Matthew Inman to Livewire. Welcome to the show, Matthew. Thanks for having me. <laughs> so you started this website, and it largely, in the beginning, I think, was just cartoons about things that annoyed you a little bit. D- did you imagine that this was what was going to happen with this website? No. I mean, my, my goals with it were pretty modest. I just wanted to make a website that was autonomous, a website that could support me uh, enough that I didn't have to work for someone. So to see it go where it is now is wonderful. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. And you're a writer, a designer, a developer, a marketer, and an illustrator, all self-taught. How, how the hell did you do that? Um, well, a lot of those things are all kind of meshed together because, you know, I work on a computer. But basically from uh, maybe the age of 13 or so, I just started using computers, uh, sometimes upwards of 16 hours a day. Uh, and I'm 28 now, so... <laughs> That's a lot of time on a computer, basically. Yeah. That's, that's the disappointing answer for you. <laughs> so you, I read some of the articles that you had written about search engine optimization and uh, ways to make websites not suck. And it was interesting because you were funny when you wrote these articles. You generally don't read articles like that that are as funny as the ones that you did. Was there a certain point at which you... you decided, oh, I'm just going to be funny. I'm not going to write about this stuff anymore. Yeah, it was actually one comic in particular. Like, basically, my job had become making funny things in order to market something. And I found it was kind of an awkward fit. It would be like a concert pianist doing Little Debbie commercials. Not that there's anything <laughs> wrong with Little Debbie. She is delicious. It's just, a, you know, not a good fit. And when I was, uh, I was working at the dating site, I made a comic called How to Tell If Your Cat is Plotting to Kill You. And um, something like six million people read it over the course of a summer. And that's when I was like, you know what, I need, 
I need to be doing comedy. I need to be doing comic art. I don't need to be doing this marketing thing anymore. Well, and you are a funny person, uh, and humor is so subjective. Has there, any, has there been anything that you've created that you absolutely loved that just didn't hit? Yeah, there was this one. Uh, it was a comic called Hungover Aliens. And you know those <laughs> chestbursters from the Aliens From movies? Aliens, sure. It was just two of those having a dialogue over the toilet, and they're hungover, and they're just throwing up and talking about their night. And one of them made out with a Doberman Pinscher and what, they, what happened. And I thought it was funny, and that my humor did not seem to coincide with my readers, because like the first comment on the page was worst comic ever. <laughs> like, so I actually took it down. I was ashamed. I, yeah, I ran into the hills to live with the birds and the beasts because I just couldn't. <laughs> it's gone now. So, yeah, I mean it's a difficult it's a difficult thing making funny things all the time. But it seems you seem extremely prolific at it, and it all a lot of your stuff does have to do with things that kind of drive you crazy or like people who can't handle punctuation, that kind of thing. Is it somewhat difficult for you to find things to write about, or is humanity just sort of an endless well of annoyance? Uh, there's, there's a big goldmine of comedy out there, I think. And um, a lot, oftentimes, too, what I'll do is I'll pick something I think is interesting and focus on that. Um, for instance, I, I found out about pigs and the fact that a pig can run a seven-minute mile, right? That's impressive. Pig is the fourth smartest mammal, and a pig can actually squeal at 115 decibels, which is two decibels higher than a jet engine. And more importantly, more important than any of, any of that, a pig orgasm lasts continuously for 30 minutes. And these types of things, I feel, are ripe for <laughs> comedy, right? So that's how they become comics. And actually, since making that comic, I thought about the whole orgasm thing. And I was thinking about how delicious bacon is. And I was wondering, maybe, like, marinades. It's like a 30-minute marinade. So next time you eat it, just, re- just remember that. Yeah. Well, that's, that's what's interesting. I've learned... Uh, some stuff from your website, like uh, that I don't, never have to buy my cat night vision goggles because their cats have night vision that's six times better than yeah, ours. Yeah, one sixth our light level, they can see in the dark. Yeah, and um, is it the anglerfish? Yeah. Can you talk about the anglerfish? Yeah, so um, basically, the angler is he's this male fish that's born. When he's born, he's worthless. His senses don't work properly. He can't see, he can't do anything. The only thing that works well in him is a sense of smell. And the only thing that he can smell well is the pheromones of a female. And he will actually spend his whole, his whole life looking for the female. And when he finds the female, she is the anglerfish from Finding Nemo, the one with the, the massive jaws and the glowing light. She's got like a chainsaw for a face. It's just mm-hmm. this wonderful fish. And he sees her, and he's like, I'm in love. Something beautiful, something wonderful. I found the smell. So he starts nibbling on her. His body, actually, while he nibbles on her, fuses into hers. And the only thing that's left of him is a pair of testicles hanging off the side of her. So basically, he spends his whole life starved and hungry in order to become a pair of balls on a female, right? And as a man, that is the most awful thing I have ever heard. <laughs> so I like to bring things Where like that to life. Where did you read about the anglerfish? Just... I, a friend of mine years ago was like, yeah, anglerfish has it bad. And she just told me like this. <laughs> and she's like, he, gets, he becomes a pair of balls. And it just stayed in my head for years. And then finally, I made a comic about it. So kind of an unsung hero, I Right, thought. right. <laughs> in the undersea world. Well, who do you read? Who do you think is funny? Who do you find funny? Um, probably David, uh, David Sedaris, Eddie Izzard. Um, as far as comic goes, um, Perry Bible Fellowship is really funny. Um, That's a website? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's absolutely brilliant, subversive humor. He doesn't write comics anymore, which is a shame. Oh, yeah. That's but, too bad. Uh, good source of inspiration for me. Um, what, one of my favorite comics of yours is where you explain why Twilight is so successful. Is there anything that's out there right now for you that's out in pop culture that you'd love to kind of attack again? Um, you know, I, I want to try and find something new to make fun of because it's a it's really, really good source of comedy. Like, um, 
I, I wanted to do one about Justin Bieber, a comic about him, because I'm not a fan. I mean, I don't dislike him, I just think he should be fired into the sun, something like that. Um, so, instead of making a comic, I made a quiz about him called How Many Five-Year-Olds Could You Take in a Fight? And you tell how tall you are, how strong you are, and it could, it could tell you could take 35-year-old, or 30 uh, beavers in a fight, or 26 mm -hmm. beavers in a fight. And um, I changed the quiz so that when you take it, it'll actually tweet your, your score. And it tweets, I could take 26 at Justin Bieber's in a fight. So if you get what that means, like every day for a year, thousands of people tweet at Justin Bieber how many of him they could take in a fight. <laughs> so every time I'm having a bad day, I just remember that my heart grows three sizes. <laughs> well, that's actually one of the things that I wanted to ask. Now that you're your own boss, do you feel like you're living your ideal life? Does this feel pretty perfect to you? No, it's awful. I work at home and like... I have to be creative all day, and I start making conversation with houseplants because I'm just like, there's nobody there, and I've got my dogs running around spraying shit all over the walls and, you know, that kind of thing, so. Not your ideal life? No, I think it'll get better, though. <laughs> well, what would, you, what, what would be your ideal life, do you think? Um, I don't know. Maybe having a... I want to get an office. Uh, I don't work at home very well, as I'm learning after four years in, so, mm -hmm. yeah, maybe getting an office. Yeah, there's, there's great shared creative spaces that yeah. you could get. I'm not quite sure who would be comfortable sharing a space with you. <laughs> I'll leave the dogs at home, at least. <laughs> right. They have bowel problems. <laughs> right. I hinted at that earlier. Uh-huh. Do you... You've, you've, now, you have this book, and you've, you've been going around... You, you've been doing readings, mm -hmm. but you don't actually read from the book. No, I found if I open my comic book and read from it, it's like the humor goes into the shower and hangs itself. It's just so terrible. Yeah. So... Typically, I just talk and tell stories. Have you thought about doing any other kinds of writing, like screenplays, or...? Um, I've had some interest in screenplays. Um, I wouldn't know how to write that, though. Um, what actually interests me more would be animated shorts, like two-minute animated films I think I could do. And Well, in these, a, lot of, a lot of the stuff that you find in the book could definitely be animated. Yeah, so. absolutely. There's one called The Bobcats. It's actually not in the book. It's a newer one. There's these two cats wear ties, and they're, they're, they'd be great as a cartoon. Well, the audience wants to Good. see it. <laughs> so what can people look forward to next from you? I'm um, writing a new book right now. It'll be out the same time next year. Great. Um, and then just tons more new comics and hopefully those animated shorts I was talking about. Wonderful. Well, the book is Five Very Good Reasons to Punch a Dolphin in the Mouth and Other Useful Guides. The author is Matthew Inman. Thanks so much for joining us, Matthew. Thanks for having me. listening to live wire radio subscribe to our podcast on itunes and get your weekly dose of variety delivered to you quietly in the middle of the night like milk in the olden days unless you're lactose intolerant in which case you should really just come up with another analogy visit livewireradio.org for more information and you're listening to live wire radio with music conversation and laughs it's like a great date but without the initial awkwardness and constant internal dialogue about whether or not you're going to end up doing it <laughs> we'll be right back
to LiveWire. And now it's time for the... Audience haiku. We have asked our audience to expound on three subjects in the form of haiku. Summer TV, addictive websites, and annoying habits. Faces for Radio Theater have chosen their favorites and will now read them with the help of Ralph Huntley. Tonight's haiku is, as always, brought to you by the New Belgium Brewing Company. This month featuring their summer ale, Somersault. Featuring centennial hops, a sliver of ginger root and apricot, and finished with oats in a long mash. Somersault, because beer and summer go together like... Well, beer and summer. Duh. <laughs> Thanks, New Belgium. Hey, Ralph, can I get something um, tedious to the point of insanity? This stupid website ate up three hours. So now I'll send it to my friends. Thanks, Julianne. Um, Ralph, can I get something jazzy and playful to the point of insanity? Annoying Habits, Sister Act 2, has got to be the very worst. Thank you, Gemma. Ralph, could I get um, Lonely 26 in a basement with a slight hint of paranoia? Be sure and check out porn and pie and Nintendo and cocaine.com. And now, from the audience, one of you to read her very own haiku. Please welcome Gail. Hi there. Can I uh, get something that is sexy, a little bit dark, and perhaps a bit repetitive? <laughs> Grinding. All night long, relentless, sleepless torture. It's his teeth, not sex. Thank you, Gail. Great job, audience on the audience haiku. You're listening to Livewire Radio. Subscribe to our podcast and make your computer do all the downloading work, which it kind of does anyway. Find out more at LiveWireRadio.org or iTunes. Once again, please welcome DeLorean. Thirty years, I'm nearly halfway home. More or less, I'll never know. Well, my heart's been broken, but my heart's still strong. If I find love, I won't let go. If I find love, I won't let go. You see, the trouble is I've been on both sides. 
Been a jealous husband and with others wives He has been working really, really hard for the last 56 minutes while we've been playing to help us digest all that's happened. Please welcome poet Scott Poole. What I Learned Tonight by Scott Poole. I learned tonight that I want to drive really slow, slow like a DeLorean song, like you're driving a giant car, 
Not just big like a Cadillac giant car, but big like the Titanic with little truck tires on it. It would be nice to have the Titanic back, black as gold, waving with algae with anglerfish hanging off of it. It's just driving down the road now, staying the hell away from the ocean so they can't sink it again. And I would love to drive it carefree, crash it into things, park it in the parking lot, and crush the Denny's. That's how big of a car I want to drive. I want my car to be so big that people can get in and out of it without me ever knowing about it. People could not be RSVPing right now, and I would have no clue that that is happening to any party that may or may not be happening on some lower floor of this immense ship. People could be driving golf carts down there for all I know, lost in the depths of the Titanic, driving past quiet boilers and stock rooms and crew quarters. There could be a whale left over down in there with balloons tied to it as a sign where the party is. If you saw a giant whale with balloons on it, would you continue on to a party in a moldy old ship driven by someone you don't even know? No way. Forget the party. James Bond could be down there killing someone really bad, but since I didn't see the bad person get into my car, I really don't give a crap, James Bond. Thanks anyway. It's so great to have no idea, but still be driving it all down the road, crashing it into various Denny's. With a car that big, I guess you really don't have to steer. I could just be working on the computer like 16 hours a day. I could make a website about me driving the Titanic and working on the computer 16 hours a day and crashing it into random Denny's. Denny's full of delicious bacon. Denny's full of people talking about the anglerfish. Man, that anglerfish has has got it bad. Wow, is that the Titanic? Run, grab the bacon. Hey, you know who's got it bad? We do! We're eating at a Denny's and we're about to be crushed by a luxury ocean liner without experiencing a hint of that comfort ourselves. You know, that kind of sucks. Man, that would be a great website. Man, that would be a great car. Thank you. Scott Poole, everybody. That's our show for tonight. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks to our guests tonight, Margaret Malone, Matthew Inman, and DeLorean. The Button Shops are Ralph Huntley, Jim Brunberg, and Dave Jorgensen. Tonight's show was made possible in part by our sponsors, New Belgium Brewing Company, Whole Foods Market, and Dave's Killer Bread. Additional funding provided by the Regional Arts and Culture Council, the Oregon Cultural Trust, the James F. and Marion L. Miller Foundation, and listeners such as you fine people. Hotel accommodations generously provided by the Hotel Deluxe. Our senior producer is Robin Tannenbaum. The show is produced by Courtney Haumeister and Jim Brunberg. The faces for Radio Theater are writers Courtney Haumeister, Sean McGrath, and house poet Scott Poole, performers Tyler Hughes, Trisha Ferguson, and siren of sound Pachinowski. Our guest writers this week were Jason Rouse and Ben Coleman. Our recording engineer is Jonathan Newsom. House sound by Jeffrey Hilton Simmons. Special thanks to Rose City Sound. Stage management by Drew Flint. Theme song by Courtney Vondrelli and Ralph Huntley. Livewire was created by Kate Sokoloff and Robin Tannenbaum. For more information about Livewire or to subscribe to our podcast, visit our website at livewireradio.org. This is your announcer, Tyler Hughes, saying G47. G47. And that kicks off what surely will be the longest game of bingo ever played on the radio. 
Dear Livewire, when we first met, I was really shy. I had no idea we'd spend so much time together or that you'd be one to fill my heart with, with joy and make me want to be a better person. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know you were here. I was busy reading a review from one of our many, many rapturously smitten listeners. Oh, wait, actually, no, sorry. This is from Elena. Anyway, the point is, uh, it would be really helpful if you wanted to leave us a review. Feel free to say really nice things about us, and uh, we'll even read them now and then on the show. So you might hear your review of Livewire read on the program itself. Uh, reviews help other people hear about the show, and then we can keep doing this for a long, long time because we love having this job. Uh, thank you so much if you've left a review, and if you're about to leave a review, you can go ahead and do it right where you get the podcast.